five, four, three, two. All right, hey, welcome to the podcast today. I'm your host, Rob Anderson, host of One Dive at a Time, the podcast that takes mental health, diving, veteran issues, all that kind of stuff, and we mix it all up together to give truly a unique podcast experience. Again, I'm your host, Rob Anderson. Hey, before I jump in to today's show, by the way, I'm talking about dealing with fears. If you've been out on the blog, you may have already read what I wrote. And I actually wrote a pretty pretty lengthy blog on it because this is an area where this is an area that I thrive in. I mean, this is really where a lot of my clientele is coming to me and where I'm finding a lot of success with my clients. And I want to share a little bit about what I'm doing and then maybe even out of that you can get some tips with it as well. If you have not been over to the website scubarob.com, you're going to find, uh, well, when you go back there, you're going to find that I've redone the website. The website is a lot cleaner. It's more of a blog format. It always felt too businessy, right? And I didn't really, I didn't really like that vibe. I want it to be more of a you know, more of a blog, more of sharing what I'm doing and, you know, you know, providing tips and tricks and things like that. But I also needed a place where I could, where I could showcase the things that, that I offer in my private practice, as well as what we offer over in Neptune Warrior. By the way, the, the Neptune Warrior site is neptunewarrior.org. You can go there to find out more information about the work that, that we're doing over on that side. Man, I've got a fantastic team that's over there. Got two new instructors that came up this last year, a couple new dive masters, got some dive masters in the works. But over here on the podcast side and over here on the scubarob.com side, I've redone the website. And as you go through, it's a lot easier to access what the course descriptions and pricing is. We talk about sit by the pit and put the dates for the next sit by the pit. You know, anytime we get an upcoming date, have a link over there for military veterans and how to use your GI Bill, a description about myself, and then, this is new, a dive schedule. I get asked all the time, hey, when are we diving at the Y? When's your next dive? All that kind of stuff. And I'm gonna do my absolute best to keep that page updated, as well as putting those out into the blog formats. That way, if you subscribe, you'll automatically get updates to that. And then, I've also thrown on two links on the homepage. One is, clicking and getting the podcast. If you're not using any other format and you haven't been to the podcast or maybe someone forwarded the site to you, you can at least go there to get it. Now, I, later on, I'm going to put a link tree. I'm going to put a link tree link out there so you can see some different ways that you can actually access the podcast. And then the other link is one that goes to the Etsy store, which where you can get gear that helps to support the podcast. Now, one of the things I got away from was asking you to like and share. And I think that was not a, a so smart move. I guess I should be asking you, hey guys, go out and like the podcast, like the episode, share, make a comment. Really appreciate it. Because what I'm finding is that I'm not reaching the target audience, which is you guys. And I need your help to share it out amongst your friends. Because if you're the target audience, more than likely your friends and family they're the target audience as well. And that's really who I want to, to reach out to. Hey, on this podcast, I'm talking about dealing with fears. And as usual, anything I talk about on the podcast or anything I do in the diving world, anything that uh, applies to the aquatic world, we can take and apply to the terrestrial world, right? You know, the, the terra firma world. When you're dealing with life in general and dealing with complicated relationships and or even not so complicated relationships or dealing with with things that take place in life and fear is one of those things that comes along with it but as usual i put this into the diving format because i think number one it helps the divers and number two it's 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 really a way that it makes it if you're a diver and you and you 
and you're in that scuba vibe, right? It's easy to take the lessons and understand what I'm talking about and transfer them back into your everyday life. As comfortable as what it is during a dive, at some point, if you dive long enough, there's gonna be something that rattles you. You're gonna get scared, you're gonna have a fear. And in many ways, fear is kind of good. Fear is gonna, in some cases, it can keep you safe, it can help you avoid danger. But on a dive, the fear can be so intense that it can actually lead to serious problems. You know, you can wind up making mistakes. You could wind up getting so scared that you shoot for the surface, right? Or, or make a mistake while you're under there trying to, trying to resolve an issue. If nothing else, it keeps you from enjoying something that's a lot of fun. I remember a couple years ago, Abby and I took a road trip. And on that road trip, we decided we were going to dive every state that we went through. And so we started out in Idaho. We went through... Uh, we actually went through Utah, New Mexico, Texas, Colorado, and back up through Wyoming. And our goal was to dive every single state. On one of those dives, it was in Texas. In fact, it was just off of Windy Point on Lake Travis. And while we were down there, there was uh, th there was a couple things that, that rattled Abby, quite honestly. She was a very young diver at that point. She had a lot of Idaho dives, but she was in, suddenly she was in this different setting. And one of the things that she was afraid to do, there was this uh, there was a sailboat that had been sunk. We were down at about 40 feet. The lake was really low at that point. So we're down about 40 feet, and I could not get her to look inside the sailboat, the sunken sailboat. And in her mind, you know, she was she was kind of afraid there might be something in there, you know, like a large fish or, you know, maybe a body, who knows, right? Who knows? And I think at the time she was probably about 17, 18 at that time. And so it was really really scary for her to uh, you know, to to be around that sailboat. And so what I did with her is I got her used to diving around the outside of the sailboat before looking inside of the sailboat. And so we did a couple of dives where we would go down to the sailboat, we'd hang out on the outside of it, we'd go down just below it, we'd, you know, we'd look at the, at the, the bottom of the, of the wreck that was there, we'd come back up, I made sure she had some really, really bright lights, and once she had those bright lights, and once she was used to being around that sailboat, it wasn't so bad looking in. And after she looked in a couple of times, and what I was doing is I kept exposing her to the same fear until she got to a point where it no longer really bothered her. And we did the same thing with a couple of other obstacles. She had the same, same thing happen with, with some swim-throughs and pass-throughs and things like that that she was, you know, that she was afraid of. And we actually have our own signal you know, we have our own hand signal for when one of us is afraid about something or has a fear about something. And that's been a very useful signal because then I can work with her and help her overcome those fears by doing small exposures to that fear. So in this post and the, and the podcast, you're going to find I get a little more detailed than what I usually do. But I'm going to introduce to you a few effective methods that I use with my clients. And many times what I do is I wind up leading them into situations that they fear. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples, a couple of dive examples, and, and talk about how fear can get us stuck and becomes a, a, a problem. And worst case is that it can be something that causes a diver to panic. I'm going to talk about how I use exposure with my coaching clients in different types of dive environments and how going on those guided dives helps them to overcome their fears and get joy out of, out of the dive. 
and again, it's it's a skill that you can transfer back into regular life. You know, different types of fears that that you might have. And you know, on on every dive or every adventure or even a life, we experience all sorts of emotions every single day. And those feelings that we have, they're important because they tell us useful things and they act to prompt us in to, you know to behave or, or to act in certain ways. You know, for example, happiness. Happiness tells us that there's something good going on and, and it encourages us to keep doing whatever it is that we're doing. You know, you go out on a dive or maybe you grab your snorkel and fins and you're just you know working your way around a, a reef or a sandbar. You know, or you know, you're doing something that, that makes you happy, so you keep doing it. You know, you you find a reef. I know a couple years ago when I was in Hawaii, I found this box fish, and he was always in the same area. And I go back out and I hang out with that box fish, and he was real friendly. He'd come up to me, he kind of poked me on the mask a little bit. Maybe that's aggressive. Maybe it's not so friendly. But to me, I interpreted that as being friendly, and I was happy about it. So I kept going back out there. And. And on top of that, I wanted to share with other people that were also enthusiastic about my adventures. You know, there may be another time that we feel the, the feeling of disgust. You know, you find trash in your favorite area, you find soda bottles. I remember when I was in Rotan this last year, for the most part, everything was pristine. Went up to go dive this, uh, this cavern area, and what I found was bottles and trash and straws. I was like, man, this is such a pristine, beautiful place. How is it that it's got all this crap in it? And and even though it was a great area, I really didn't want to dive there anymore. You could be out at your local pond like like Quinn's that you know could could also be dangerous because the the people that are hanging around it, you kind of get disgusted by the things that you see and taking place out there. Anyway, that, that's, that's disgust. Another one is guilt. You wind up crashing into the coral reef. You illegally shoot a game fish with your spear gun. Uh, you use plastic uh, bags when you've been telling everybody else, hey, you shouldn't be using plastic bags because it's bad for the environment. Or use straws because it's bad for the environment and you find yourself using a straw. Maybe you purposely didn't answer a call from a dive buddy that wanted to go diving, or maybe you didn't call them when you were going to go out on a dive. And you feel guilty about it. Guilt tells us that we believe we've done something wrong. And actually, guilt can encourage us to right that wrong and to make amends and repair the damage that's been done. So that's really the, the three areas that we find emotions in, in our experiences, it's happiness, it's disgust, and it's, and it's guilt. In the very same way, fear. Fear is what warns us that something might be dangerous. Maybe it's a certain depth. Maybe it's diving in a dark or low visibility area or where there's current. Or maybe it's a fear of diving a lake that there was a drowning the week before. I know that this last year up at Lucky Peak, we had a, a drowning that, take pl that took place and you know it was like two or three weeks that our diving numbers dropped off be because people didn't want to be diving and swim up on a, on a body that was there. So there was that fear of that. Fear is what prompts us to be cautious. Fear is what uh, helps us to maybe neutralize a threat or, or to get away from it. In 2018, I was diving in Hawaii off of Black Rock, which is out there on, on Maui. I was hanging out with a ton of amberjacks. You know, amberjacks are, you know, they're like the hors d'oeuvre of the ocean. And they, they huddle in large schools. They're real flighty, so if you swim up to them, chances are they're going to separate. Man, I was like in the zen moment. I was hanging out with all these amberjacks, just hanging out, chilling. They thought, I guess, I guess they thought I was just a really large amberjack hanging out with them. And man, all of a sudden, another school of amberjacks comes racing towards us, races through the school that I'm hanging out with. They disperse. I mean, there's no amber. I mean, there is not a fish around at all. I mean, I'm looking around. There's no fish. And the first thing I think of is shark. 
I thought in my brain, I thought that a shark was rushing in. Now this is where that whole fight, flight, freeze comes into play. And you've heard me talk about this on previous podcasts, right? How do we, you know, how do we avoid the amygdala hijack? And so what I did is I drew out my dive knife and I got into like this fighting stance. Like I'm gonna take on Jaws. Jaws and I are gonna go one-on-one, right? And I've and because I've got three choices. I'm gonna attack the shark. Or I'm gonna, you know, you know, I'm gonna fight it off. I've got my dive knife. I can either swim away as fast as I can, which who knows that might, you know, spark a predatory response, or I can freeze and do nothing, and just be bait. Well, what happened was, it wound up being three huge tuna that were coming in, that had been hunting. And man, we all came up together. There's four of us there, right? It's me, and this whole posse of, of large, large tuna. And they are circling me, and I'm looking at them. One of them just really did not like the fact that I'm making eye contact. And so I kept my eye, and I would spin around as, as he would try to swim behind me. That was not cool, right? And again, I had three choices. I could attack the shark, or in my case, it was three tuna. I could swim away from the threat, which is that flight. Or I could stay still so the shark, or in this case, the tuna, didn't think that I was a threat. That's that freeze response. That is a natural reaction. When is it that fear really becomes a problem? Let's say that you have a beeping alarm on your dive computer and it can it's going to help warn you if you start to ascend too fast. But what happens when that alarm keeps going off at the wrong time, like when the battery's low. You know, it keeps beeping, and it's the same type of beep, it's the same type of audible beep as if you were ascending too too fast. And you quickly get that urge to, to look to make sure that you're not rocketing up, right? And so that, that fear becomes a problem when it's too extreme or it's too frequent. When your fear response is too easily triggered or triggered in the wrong situation, it can lead to some serious problems. It can, it can change your mood. It can change relationships. It can change day-to-day -day life. I hate being startled. And I shared this in a blog a while back, but I absolutely hate to be startled. The other night, I walked out of my office area and I came in contact with Brooks, who I didn't realize was standing behind me or actually standing off the side in, in, the, in the kitchen area. And tickled my sides real quick. Man, I jumped like you would not believe. And I, and I had to tell her, hey, you know, if we're going to hang out and stuff, you know, you know, you can't be doing this. Okay. And it had actually changed my mood for a little bit. Part of it, I think, was because, you know, we've known each other for five or six years. So it's like, hey, you know, you should know that I startle really, really easy. The other part was I was embarrassed because I don't like startling like that. It, it's happened to me on dives. John Weirs and I were diving Quince Pond a couple of years ago. And again, low visibility, right? And I knew that he was there. I knew he was in the water. I could hear his bubbles, but still when he appeared at the side of me, man, I about lost it. Now granted, that has to do with some other things that I deal with. But nonetheless, it's it's that fear. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to come up on something. About a month and a half ago, I helped, maybe it's longer than that, I helped to recover a single mom's bicycle out of Quinn's. Same place, right? And there had been a drowning there about a month prior. So that's in the back of my head. When I first saw the outline of the, of the bike, knowing I was looking for a bike and a trailer, my first thoughts went to, oh my gosh, I wonder if somebody's in that trailer. I had no reason to believe at all that there's somebody in there. I didn't have any evidence of that. That had not been shared. But I stayed back and I, and I slowly crept into that area. Now part of that could be because I've done body recoveries in the past, I've done evidence recoveries in the past, 
And so you never know on that search when you're going to roll up to that. That's always in the back, back of your mind. But again, a few months ago, or quite a while ago, I shared in the blog where I was talking about my own startle responses. And in that blog, one of the things that I cover is that that is, that is part of the startle reflex. It's been built and it's been reinforced in the neural pathway. It's, it's built there to help protect you. Your, your brain, basically, it's like if you've ever written computer code. All right, it's, it's, you know, you do a cut and paste so that you don't have to keep writing the same computer code over and over again. Or if you're writing a blog, if you're, you know, you know you'll do cut and paste of, of your own work and put it somewhere else so that you can use it again and again, right? You, you know, you're basically helping to build shortcuts and that's what your brain does. Your brain builds in a shortcut for survival. But, you know, and, and when a diver, when they get startled, there's a number of things that they start to feel. There's the adrenaline surge, the mouth gets dry, and that's because of that increase of blood sugar. The heart racing uh, increases. You begin to breathe faster. You get keyed up. Your muscles get tense. So I'm not going to talk a lot about startle responses in this podcast, but I need to out outline that. The other thing is there's a difference between fear and phobias. So phobias aren't really a, a part of this post. You know, they're not really part of what I'm going to cover in the, in the podcast. But just understand that a phobia is that extreme fear that arises in very specific situations. So like, you know, enclosed spaces or response to, to particular things. And, and a, you know, a phobia is an extreme fear. Now, some of the cases I'm going to talk about today are probably more phobia-based than fear-based, but, but I'm going to put it into the fear perspective today. Panic is something else. There's panic attacks. There's panic disorders. There's social anxieties. There's obsessive-compulsive stuff. There's generalized anxiety. There's PTSD. And what happens is sometimes people will use all those words interchangeably. They'll use all those, uh, and I, I don't diagnose. I'm a coach, right? So I don't diagnose. That's, that's not really what, what my job is. But, you know, anxiety is really more of a general type of fear. There's, there's that feeling of apprehension, uh, you know, about threats of what might happen. We're going to focus more on fear, even though it's going to sound like some of these other areas. So, so let's explore some more of those fearful body sensations. So a couple of things are going to happen. You know, when you feel afraid, your body's going to react in, you know, particular ways. There's some physical sensations that you're going to that you're going to feel that that accompany it while uh, while you're diving. Your heart rate could go up. Your breathing can increase. Your mouth could get dry, and it's not just because you're breathing off of a regulator, um, but you know, your, your stomach can feel uncomfortable. You might feel lightheaded or dizzy. You know, so all those are, are body changes that can be useful. In, genuine, in genuinely life-threatening situations, but they can also be really uncomfortable when the situation isn't so dangerous, but you're interpreting it as being dangerous. You know, we can go in and we can start thinking of all the, the fearful thoughts and images. You know, when, I'm, when Abby was going to go look inside that sailboat, she had it in her mind that something was going to jump out at her. I have felt those same feelings. There are times I get onto a dive and I don't know what it is. There is something in the water that spooks me. And to the, I can't remember if it was 2016 or 2018. Abby and I were doing a dive at a place called Slaughterhouse, again, up in Maui. And we just had this really, we just had this fear. And we don't know why. We didn't see anything out there. We didn't see any turtles. We didn't see any sharks. Whatever it was, right? There was something that was in our mind, and we thought that it was we. You know, we thought that we were prey. We felt like something was going to come out of nowhere and just gobble us up. You know, so we so we started, you know, having all these thoughts and images. 
when we conjure up those fearful thoughts and images, there's a couple of different things that we need to be aware of. Cat, uh, catastrophizing, that means that we're seeing a situation as much worse than it really is. Fortune telling is predicting that something bad is going to happen. Man, if I dive out there, I know that Jaws is going to eat me. And then also magnifying and minimizing. Exaggeration, you know, exaggerating how bad things are going to be. And then also feeling, the minimizing part is feeling like we can't handle it. Man, I know that current is just going to, when I get in at Cozumel, that current is going to rip me away. And the next thing I know is I'm going to be waking up somewhere in Florida. Because I don't have the skills to handle it. So those are some ways that our thoughts get distorted. Catastrophizing, fortune telling, magnifying and minimizing. So let me share with you some experiences that I've had with some coaching clients. You know, but, you know just a, a real quick discussion around fearful behaviors. Because you know, our emotions, those can prompt us to act and and this is especially true when we're scared, when we've got fear. And there's two behaviors that play a very important role in fear. And then the first one is avoidance. The second one is safety behaviors. I'm going to talk about those in a couple of different examples I have with clients. Obviously, the names have been changed. So the first one is Stacy. And Stacy has a fear of enclosed spaces. Whenever she was on a dive and there were places that were even slightly would cover her view of the surface. You know, things like swim-throughs or might creep up into, uh, you know, a cavern that has an overhang. You know, might, you know, places like um, five, five caves, five graves where you can actually swim up into to a, a small little cave area but come right back out those would freak her out. Her heart would race, she would get scared. And for her, it would just confirm that that situation was unsafe. And there's a risk that she may not be able to, to handle. She might not be able to surface, right? Even though she could swim out of that area and then swim up. One of my other clients, Sam, Sam got stung by a jellyfish when he was a kid. And anytime he sees a jellyfish, he remembers being stung. And it, it rattles him so bad that even talking about it, there's times where he could get, you know, he could start to break out in a sweat. He would, you know, he would get really fearful. You could tell that it rattled him. And we might be diving somewhere around Hoodsport or other areas, you know, where, where there's, you know, you've got, you've got jellyfish in the water, right? And he always thought that the jellyfish could sense his fear and would come after him. I mean, it sounds funny, right? But it's not. I mean, that was his fear, is that the jellyfish was actually after him because his fear was provoking them to come to his path as he was diving. So, you know, when, when we talk about fearful behaviors, those are very fearful behaviors that someone can have. Now avoidance. So if I, you know, when we look at Stacy, Stacy would rarely dive reefs that had any type of deep canyons. I know, like when I was in Rotan, when Brooks and Phil, Lori, Jason, and Larissa and I were down in Rotan, there was like these these reefs, and they were like canyons. I mean, and some of them were, you know, 30, 40, 50 feet deep, right? And you could swim down and swim through them and everything. I mean, it was a blast. It felt like you were just it felt like you're flying through, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know how to explain it. it. It just, it felt so liberating to have all that life down there and, and, and have walls on each side of you as you're swimming through these areas. And there, of course, there's swim throughs. Man, someone like Stacy would not do that at all. And instead, what she does is she stays above the reef. She even stays close to the surface. 
you know, if, if those canyon walls, uh, you know, those reef canyons come up close to the surface, she'll stay up close to the surface to avoid getting, I mean, even near anything that might have a slight hanging over. Now she might, you know, sometimes she would get down kind of where the, where the walls were, right? But nothing overhead. Man, if there's a swim through, she went up and over. It didn't, it didn't matter how, how, you know, much she had to swim up to get over that overhang. She would just swim over, right? And what that does in, in places like Cozumel or in other places where you've got reefs, it causes her to fight the current. And even though it was inconvenient and tiring, she would do it. And, and she tries not to even think about the formations. Sam, when we look at uh, you know, his avoidance, Sam won't even go to an aquarium. He won't take his kids to, you know, like the Denver Aquarium because they've got this big jellyfish exhibit. He won't take them to the, uh, you know, to the aquarium that's over in Washington State again because jellyfish. If he sees a moon jelly on the shore or anything like that, I mean, he just he can't stand it, right? He, he won't look at pictures of them because he wants to avoid. He got stung that bad that that fear. You know, or you got stung, so that fear is so bad that it is avoidance at all cost. So what do they do about safety behaviors? When we look at someone like Stacy, on a dive that she did down in Rotan, she had no other option but to dive an area that had a lot of overhanging formations. So what she did at that point is she grabbed her buddy by the tank valve and focused only on his bubbles. And, and so much so that the, that the buddy was actually getting a little aggravated. Even though, even though her dive buddy understood the situation, they had talked about it, it, you know, having someone hang on the back of your tank while you're trying to enjoy a dive is not a lot of fun. I mean, there's a lot of different factors in it. It can actually become a little dangerous. But what she did, she focused on just those dive bubbles. Sam, on the other hand, his safety behavior is that any time he dives, and it's even gotten to where he dives lakes and ponds like this as well, Sam wears an entire wetsuit. I don't care if it's a, that's my dog. Hey, Trig, buddy, Trigger, you're making a lot of noise, pal. Thank you. <laughs> but Sam, I don't care if it's 110 degrees outside and we're up at Lucky Peak or Quinn's or wherever it is that we happen to be. Sam wears a full wetsuit, he wears gloves, he wears a hood. There's pictures that he has sent me of his dives down in Mexico, over in the Bahamas, Curacao. The dude is wearing full gloves, hood, full wetsuit. And he does that because of his fear of jellyfish. If he comes across a jellyfish, he makes eye contact with it. I'm sorry, I said that backwards. When he, when he finds a jellyfish, he tries not to make eye contact with it, but what he does is he makes a really big path. I remember one time uh, we were diving over at, uh, I think it was where Dondo is where we're diving at. And he actually swam, swam this great big circle around you know, a, a, a huge lion's mane uh, jellyfish. I mean, like almost in a different zip code it felt like at times. All those are safety behaviors that help them tolerate fearful situations. And again, I use those stories with permission as long as I change the names and, and all like that. But those safety behaviors, safety behaviors are what help you tolerate, right? They help you, they help you cope and help you deal with those fearful situations. But they often keep the fear going. Sam is not going to get over his dealings with jellyfish if he doesn't confront that fear. Stacy is not going to uh, deal with overhangs until, until she works on that. And that's where I come into their lives. And, that, and that's, that's where I work with them. By relying on those safety behaviors, it really undermines 
the ability to cope. And if for some reason Stacy or Sam can't ever use their, their safety behaviors, I mean, they could wind up missing dives. Now, there are cases where, you know, there's some workarounds. So when Stacy, uh, her dive boat on a, on a trip, her dive boat actually rerouted off the reef that they're supposed to go to because it was just it was just overcrowded with divers. There was too many divers there. And so they re, they wound up rerouting and they went to a place where there was a wreck, a very shallow wreck. And the dive master had pumped it up about hey there's a lot of different swim throughs and you know there's different you know you know you know there's different things that you can see and all like that, right? Man, Stacy did not want anything to do with it. So what they did is they wound up she you know she wound up snorkeling now she missed a a wonderful dive trip right you know hanging out hanging out with the wreck and it and while she found a workaround for it she wound up snorkeling on the surface but she regrets the fact or regretted the fact that she could not be down there with the other divers so you know it it totally took her out of that dive experience and the things you know when the other divers got back on the boat you know they shared all these cool things that she really wasn't a part of. Sam was uh, was doing a shore dive with a friend of his and wound up having to borrow a wetsuit. And then when his friend came out of the garage or the dive locker, wherever it was that he stored his stuff, he came out with a shorty and Sam was like, dude, hey, look, I have to, I have to dive in a full wetsuit. So he kind of inconvenienced his buddy because his buddy had to go back in and find, he actually found a wetsuit that was older, wasn't as warm. And even though it was, there, was, there was high surface temperatures where he was diving at, still had, you know, still had, uh, you know, it was still, still pretty cool in the water, but it was, it was shorty type weather, right? But he wound up having to do that dive in a full wetsuit. Now it worked out, but again, he, you know, he missed that experience. And, and what would have happened if it wasn't high temps? So, what I do with my clients is I help them break the cycle through different experiences and different exposures. Exposure involves facing the thing that scares you. And it's done in a planned way, and it's done for a specific period of time, a prolonged period of time. And when I work with clients, I do this on a repeated basis. And what we find is that their fears start to decline. Again, this is not therapy, this is coaching. This is, this is working with them in that instructor slash dive, dive master mode. You see, when you face your fears and you stay in that uncomfortable situation, as long as it's guided, your body and mind get used to the thing that rattles you. Your fear begins to minimize because you get used to that environment. It's like when I took Abby down to the sailboat. I got her used to that environment. And I think if we'd had a couple more days, I would have had her penetrating going inside that sailboat. But just getting her where she would dive around it and look inside, that was a huge step. Confronting what you're afraid of instead of avoiding it allows you to find out just how dangerous or really not dangerous something really is. And it begins to change and reprogram and rewire those fearful thoughts that you have. And it helps you to make positive changes about the things that really frighten you. Again, anything we teach in diving, anything we teach in the aquatic realm, you can transfer this back into everyday life. There's four things that I do when I'm taking a client out to make sure that that exposure is effective. The first one is it has to be rated and graded. I use what is called a fear ladder. And 
before I really get to that fear ladder, we look at, you know, we look at all the different things that someone can be afraid of. The exposure coaching begins with looking at what is the uncomfortable activity. What is it that feels challenging? What is it that they're fearful of? But not something that's overwhelming. And then we, we work together so that that activity no longer feels fearful. And then it's time to move on to the next situation. So, for example, if I've got, if I've got a student, let's go back to bare basics, scuba 101, first night that you're in the pool. This may not have been you, but you, you've probably seen at some point. A diver is afraid to take their mask off, fill it up with water, and clear it. And you'll see people do this, and they'll bolt to the surface, right? That's that, that's that fight, flight, freeze. Well, what they do is they flight, right? They, they run away from the situation. They stand up in this case. Uh, or if they're at depth, they'll actually swim to the surface. You know, mask clearing is that basic skill, and, and a lot of new divers struggle with it. But once they accomplish it, then it's time to move on to the next skill that may rattle them. And it, it might be taking the BCD off underwater and putting it back on. It might be simulated out of air situations. Whatever it is, number two, it has to be prolonged. Your fear is gonna rise when you expose yourself to that thing that causes you fear, right? So your body at that point is reacting to something that's unnatural. I mean, you're underwater. And that's not natural, but the fear is a natural response to that. Again, that's why many divers are going to bolt for the surface instead of working through the issue and safely resolve the problem underwater. I've had divers that want to quit at a point after bolting to the surface. But when we take a moment or we take a little bit of time and given the opportunity, if they let me work with them, that exposure is going to work because they stay in the situation into the body, you know, until their body makes that part of a habit, right? Taking off your mask. If you're a seasoned diver at this point, man, taking your mask off, putting it back on, no problems at all. Matter of fact, most diving issues can be related, you know, can be solved by, you know, a couple of things. One is change out the equipment or more training. As part of more training, we do more, more exposure. That's one of the reasons why I love coaching and not teaching. Because I can take divers that have been advanced or that are either in my advanced course or maybe they already have advanced diving when they're struggling with some issues. What we do is we just build out the habit. And a lot of times, the, the block or the barrier is because they're afraid to do it. But as it's, if it's prolonged, we keep them in that situation. I keep, I keep working with them in that situation. One of the things I do with divers who really don't like taking the regulator out of their mouth and blowing a small steady stream of bubbles or ditching the regulator is that before I ever have them ditch the regulator, I had them pull the regulator out, put it back in, pull it out, put it back in, pull it out, put it back in. Then the next step is they pull it out and we count to five. Then they put it back in. We do that two or three times. Then I have them pull it out, count to ten, put it back in. Step number four is I have them pull it out lay it on the bottom of the pool, bring both their hands up, give me two high fives, pick up the regulator, put it back in. We do that a couple times. Now, when they go and they throw that regulator off to the side, there's no issue with Duna recovery because they've already learned that they're okay for up to 10 seconds. Matter of fact, sometimes I'll, I'll even, we'll even do a contest of who can hold the regulator out of their mouth the longest while blowing a small steady stream of bubbles. Because what that does, it has that prolonged exposure to that fear. Number three is I make sure that we repeat it. If I've got a client who struggles with a skill, we're gonna do it over and 
over and over and over and over again until it becomes natural and that fear subsides. So doing buddy breathing, and I'm talking about in the traditional st you know, stance, doing buddy breathing or doing shared air or doing shared air ascents or pulling off the mask or taking their BCD off and dragging it across the pool and putting it back on the other end. That's all building out confidence, and we're going to do it again and again and again and again. And number four, it's got to be without distractions. If I've got students in a class and they're married, their boyfriend, girlfriend, if it's a mother-son or a father-son, father-daughter, whatever it is, right? When I start seeing them struggle, I separate them. Because what happens is instead of focusing on overcoming the fear, they're looking to what has traditionally been their support network. And in some cases, they provide validation. In some cases, the dive partner can look at them with disgust, like, I can't believe you can't get this. So I separate them out and make sure we don't have distractions. A couple years ago, I had someone who did not like diving low visibility at night. And so what we started doing was a couple things. One is she no longer dove with her spouse. I put her spouse with, uh, with my dive master and I would take her out on the dive. And then we started scheduling her dives so that we would start just before sunset and end after dark. And I would slowly move the dive frame up, or the dive time frame up, to where eventually we're starting at dark. And I was basically tagging along. And then I put her back with her, I can't remember if it was a boyfriend or a spouse, but then I put her back you know, with, with her dive partner. Once we got that distraction taken care of. As I coach, I want my client to understand exposure a little better and I want them to be able to use that understanding to overcome their fears. They need to be able to identify what the fear is and prepare for the exposure. I want to be doing exposure with the diver and then helping to keep the diver's fears at bay. Again, we use a fear ladder that helps helps us better understand what those what those fears are, and what 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 I tend to do is we look at the fear you know when we look at all the different things that they're fearful of, and it could be one or it could be four or five things that they're afraid of. But what is the highest one that we're willing to face and set aside a dive for that exposure session? So if it is diving at night, or if it's diving around shipwrecks or if it's diving in caverns, whatever it happens to be, we're going to look at that. And I'm going to have them rate what that fear is on a scale of 1 to 10. I had a diver two years ago. For some reason, 60 feet, diving past 60 feet, they were just absolutely afraid of. And kind of find out as we're talking, and where we were diving at Lucky Peak, it's because all of a sudden the area that we dive has a sudden drop-off right at 60 feet. And it looks like it drops off the abyss. It doesn't. It only goes down to about 70, 75 feet at that point. So I have them rate that, you know, rate that fear on a scale of 1 to 10, figure out where they are, and then throughout the dive, I make them carry it. All my divers carry, uh, once they get to advance, I make them start carrying dive slates with them because I want to make notes. I want them to make notes on the dives. And... I'll have them rate at different times what their fear level is at that point. And I also want them to include notes about what they're feeling and what it is that they're, that they're fearful of and make sure they show me. And then we stop doing that exposure once that fear has dropped to a point where they feel a little more comfortable. Afterwards, first thing we do after we get our gear off, go get some quiet time. You need a journalist experience. We're going to process the experience together. What happened? 
you know, you know, what is it that you did? Um, you know, we, we go through through the what, so what, now what. So you know, what is it that we did? So what does that mean? Now what are you going to do next? Then it's celebration time. We do some high fives. We talk about that success, and then it's time to breathe because you got to you know I've got to give that person time time to relax. Since repetition is probably the most important part of that exposure, we schedule additional sessions. Just because they got through the fear once doesn't mean that it won't creep back in. So to make that diver competent as well as confident, we're going to keep doing that exposure again and again and again, and probably do you know do three to five ex exposures, right? And so. If we start out on a Saturday, we'll do two or three dives on a Saturday. We'll do two or three dives on a Sunday. Come back the following week, because there's been some time, time lag, at the very most a week later. I try to get another dive in around Wednesday or Thursday. It works out perfect with our summer diving schedule because I can do the fear exposures on Saturday and Sunday, meet up with them on Thursday for our Thursday night dives, do the exposure again, and man, by the following weekend, they're good to go. Beating fears under regular guided exposures are going to help you in overcoming those fears. The big goal is to make sure that it helps you to enjoy more dives. And this is something I've really enjoyed doing this as part of my practice. Through those methods together with my diver, we figure out a way how to face those fears and make that part of the lifestyle and make it a habit. And then that way, whenever an opportunity arises to face a fear, it actually encourages my diver to go and take it because they learn how to take on that fear on their own without a lot of coaching from me. And it's something that they can apply back into their daily lives. Every time you step outside your comfort zone, you leave a lot less room for fear. All right, guys, really long session today. That's what I've got. Remember, as long as you've got air, you are all right.